I like to write in my Bible because I find on little pieces of paper I usually lose those. So in my Bible I've written from before, God is in control. So I love this psalm. So psalm number two. We're reading a psalm that the earlier disciples of Jesus keep saying and praying as they teach about Jesus and find they get persecuted for doing so. So I hope this is an encouragement to you today as we read this. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Second reading is from John, John chapter 15, verses 18 through to 16, verse 15. So John chapter 15, verse 18. We continue to hear Jesus' final speech to his disciples. So far he has promised the Holy Spirit will help them and produce fruit in their lives. So starting at John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning." All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. 
I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. I had another birthday recently. You might uh, notice my glasses. Um, But it got me thinking about how much, just in my brief lifetime, our society has shifted in its attitude towards Christians. Billy Graham's first visit to Australia was a bit before my time, but I can remember John Chapman, um, the famous evangelist, saying how easy it was to talk to people about Jesus during that time. Um, Chapo would turn to the person sitting next to him on the train and ask, have you been to hear Mr Graham yet? And away they'd go. Hundreds of thousands of people flocked to the Sydney cricket ground to hear Billy Graham preach. Thousands became Christians. Back in those days, Christians were still thought of as the good guys. Christian morality was assumed. Christian ministers were respected and the legal and political structures supported Christians. And then something changed. Over the course of my lifetime, we became just one of the guys, one option among many. If Christianity worked for you, fine. If it didn't work for me, also fine. Our society was largely indifferent to Christianity. At worst, they thought it was stupid. But I don't know if you've noticed, that's not where we are anymore. The tide has shifted further. More and more, Christians are now made out to be the bad guys. The Victorian government recently passed a law called the Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Bill. It passed easily, 27 votes to 9 in the upper house. Of course, it has to do with sexuality and gender. 
And while it hides behind the noble goal of outlawing barbaric aversion practices used by some fringe groups in the past, in fact, it treats anyone who won't fully affirm the popular view of sexuality and gender as a criminal. So as I understand it, if we had a visitor today from Victoria, um, and you are most welcome if there is someone here from Victoria, fantastic to have you, uh, and if they approached me afterwards asking for prayer about their unwanted same-sex desires, if I counselled them to obey the Lord Jesus, to not act on those desires, to be pure and celibate, and if I prayed with them to that end, if they were then to report me to the Victorian authorities, I could be fined up to $198,000 or jailed for up to 10 years. Now, presumably, I would need to be extradited from New South Wales. But they are not mucking around. There's 12 months now before this law comes into effect. But this is what our Victorian brothers and sisters are facing. They, we, are most definitely cast as the bad guys. The Bible's teaching, especially on sexual ethics, is not just laughable or outdated. It's shameful, harmful, oppressive. This is just one recent example of this shift that I think we're all feeling. There's a lot of passionate hostility on social media. Christian people have lost their jobs. Extreme abortion and euthanasia laws are being passed. The pressure grows against scripture in schools. So where to from here? What does it look like to live for Christ in a hostile world? Our Bible passage for today, Jesus' words for us today, will help us answer this question. We've been working our way through John's Gospel, and it's the night before Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified. Jesus is sharing a last meal with his closest friends, and he's dropped a bombshell. He's going away, and his disciples can't follow him. They were devastated. They thought that they'd found the one, the promised Messiah. They'd left everything to follow him for years. And now he was leaving them. They couldn't understand. They were filled with grief. Jesus knows that they're not going to be able to fully comprehend what's about to happen. But he does what he can to prepare them. He warns them. He comforts them. He tells them what they need to do on the other side of this shocking event. We're about halfway through these five chapters of Jesus' teaching on that night. And here he delivers even more shocking news. Chapter 15, end of verse 19. The world hates you. He couldn't put it more starkly. The world won't affirm you. They won't even tolerate you. They will hate you. The world feels a deep hostility towards Jesus' followers. Now, when he speaks about the world, he's talking about humanity in proud rebellion against God. People everywhere who are 
united in their thinking that they can live free without God, who love the darkness because their deeds are evil. So what will the world do? Verse 20, they will persecute you. Chapter 16, verse 2, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Losing your job, having your reputation trashed, fines, imprisonment, that's not unexpected. In fact, it's not as bad as it could get, according to Jesus. Why is it like this? Many of us can't understand why we Christians face the hostility that we do. I mean, there are situations where it's justified. Christian people have done horrendous things. None of us are perfect. But sometimes it feels unreasonable. We're just trying to obey Jesus. And he was the loving, most loving man who ever lived. We know that God's plans for marriage and sex and gender are very good. And we want others to know that. So why the pushback? Why the hatred? Jesus says, It's because the world hates me and my Father God as well. Chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Or verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. In chapter 1 of this gospel, John describes Jesus coming into this world as the light shining in the darkness. And then chapter 3. This is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I think it's this same dynamic that lies behind what Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 24. If I had not done among them the works no one else did... They would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. The truth that Jesus spoke, the works of love and rescue that Jesus did, they marked him out as God's man. He is the promised king. He deserves the trust and obedience of all people. But if I am committed to running my life, my own way, then Jesus is a massive threat to me. So I hate him. And if I can, I will kill him. And that's exactly what happened. There was no good reason for hating Jesus. But they did and they do still. The world is rotten and desperately needs a saviour. That's why Jesus came. The second reason Jesus gives as to why the world hates Christians is in verse 19, chapter 15. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you did not 
belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We Christians have lined up behind Jesus. We put our hands up. Yep, black hearts, wicked, helpless. Our only hope is if Jesus saves us. Yep, choosing our own adventure in life has been a disaster. So many people have been hurt. We're turning away from that to follow Jesus. So you know what we've done? We've exposed the lies and the corruption at the heart of the world's agenda. In the world's eyes, we become traitors. And just like the master we follow, we need to be punished. We need to be silenced. We need to be cancelled. So, how should we respond to this shocking news? What to do? First, we must not water down what Jesus is saying. Because that's a big temptation. At the start of the 20th century, the Antarctic explorer Ernst Shackleton was looking to build a team for his expedition to the South Pole. So he placed this advertisement in the newspaper. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness. Safe return, doubtful. Honour and recognition in event of success. About 5,000 men replied to that ad. None of them were asking about whether or not there would be good coffee on the trip. They knew up front that this was going to be brutal, perhaps deadly. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Everything we should be aware of. The danger, the self-denial, the persecution, it's all there in Jesus' call and in the gospel itself. The world crucified Jesus. The world will seek to harm us too. Now, the one big difference between Shackleton's team and us is that honour and success is guaranteed for Jesus' followers. God's promise is to raise us from the dead and give us eternal life in a brand new world. And that makes every hardship worthwhile. So secondly, rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. I know that sounds bizarre, but again and again in the New Testament, that's what happens. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are flogged by the Jewish authorities for preaching the gospel. And they head out rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Paul and Silas are thrown into jail in Philippi. And so they take the opportunity to pray and sing hymns to God. See, the world's rejection is a reminder that we do not belong to this world. We have another home. We have been rescued out of this damned world and brought into the kingdom of the Son. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Of course, when we experience hostility, we do need to take stock and make sure that we are not doing things deserving of scorn. But if it's simply because we're being faithful to Christ, rejoice. Here's 1 Peter 4. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Third, remember the passage from last week and Jesus' command, Love others as I have loved you. I think we're pretty good at this. Over the years, I have experienced so much love and care from my Christian family. The harder it gets out there, the more we need the love of our brothers and sisters in here. Jesus never intended that we would walk the steep and narrow way alone. He travels with us and he brings us into a family. He gives us to each other to encourage and pray for and bind up one another's wounds from those bruising conversations with family and co-workers. Maybe we're going to need to help a sister find a new job or look after a brother's family because he's in prison for his faithfulness to Jesus. Whatever happens, loving each other will make it easier to bear. So, the world will hate you. But there's really good news here for the disciples too. They will not face this hostile world alone. Jesus again promises to send the spirit of truth. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. At that time, the disciples couldn't see past the fact that Jesus was leaving them. They were overwhelmed with grief. But Jesus knows it's actually for their good. See chapter 16, verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus knew that he had to suffer and die to bring in the new age of forgiveness. Jesus knew that he would rise again and bring in the new age of resurrection life. Jesus knew that when he had become saviour and lord of all, he would pour out God's spirit and the promised new age would begin. There are many wonderful things about the new age of the Spirit. Jesus speaks here about the powerful truth-telling that will happen. The world does its darndest to snuff out the light and suppress the truth. But as Shakespeare once said, the truth will out. Jesus spoke the truth boldly about the world, about who he is. The world reacted by trying to silence him. And when he was killed and buried, 
It looked like they'd managed to do it. But then, up from the grave he arose and he poured out the spirit of truth and suddenly Jesus' voice was magnified and multiplied many times over. The Holy Spirit took on Jesus' role as the advocate. See, while Jesus was with his disciples, he stood between them and the world. The disciples hid behind Jesus. He was the one who stepped forward. He protected them. He took on their enemies. Now, after Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit takes on that same role. He is the advocate. A couple of weeks ago, Dave helped us to see that the Holy Spirit is like a barrister, like this QC in the movie The Castle. This is Lawrence Hamill, who came to the aid of Daryl Kerrigan and argued his case in the High Court. Before he came, the Kerrigans were overwhelmed. But with Laurie in their corner, they won a famous victory. God's Holy Spirit represents God's people and argues our case in the court of public opinion. We hide behind him. He is the great one who prosecutes the world. See in chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Sin, righteousness and judgment. The world hates these truths. They refuse to acknowledge their own rebellion. They make fun of God's standards. And they pretend that the coming judgment is not coming. Of course, Jesus' life and death and resurrection exposes their lies. Sin is real. Look at what we did to Jesus. Righteousness does exist. Look at Jesus. God's judgment is real. Look at Jesus' death and resurrection. After Jesus returned to the Father, the advocate would continue Jesus' work, exposing the world's lies. And the message is the same. He will testify about me, Jesus said. There is no moving on from Jesus. Now that Jesus has come, it is these truths about Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, that stand for all time to protect God's people and to demolish the lies of this world. So the spirit of truth will be the senior partner. But Jesus also says to his disciples, and you must testify. Chapter 15, verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. They would be, be witnesses to Jesus, testifying by the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. See what Jesus promises in chapter 16, verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth. How did this play out for the disciples? Well, at the time Jesus spoke these words, they did not understand. The truth was too much for them to bear. When an armed crowd turned up to arrest Jesus later that night, they abandoned him. And they watched from a distance as he suffered and died. But on the third day, Jesus returned to them, risen, triumphant. Over 40 days, he taught them and he opened their minds so they could understand the gospel. First suffering and then glory. And he poured out on them his spirit, just as he promised. They were men transformed. They stood up and powerfully testified about Jesus, the one rejected by the world, the only hope for sinners. They warned of God's coming judgment. They called for their hearers to turn their backs on the world and take refuge in the sun. They faced the world's hatred. Some were killed, just as Jesus said they would be. As the years went by, they wrote down what they'd seen and heard for future generations, the things that Jesus had taught them. And there too, the spirit of truth was at work, guiding them into all truth, so that these words, this Bible that we read today, is a trustworthy record of God's saving work in Jesus. It's been a long time since the apostles. God has allowed these last days to stretch out for thousands of years. But in many ways, nothing has changed. The nations of the world still shake their puny fists at God and try to silence God's people. God's Spirit continues to testify to Jesus as his gospel is proclaimed. And in every generation, there have been faithful witnesses bearing testimony to the truth that is in Jesus. Will you join the chorus? Will you be a witness too? Fair warning. If you do put your head up above the wall, the world will heap abuse on you. We cannot be faithful witnesses in our own strength, but we don't need to be. God's spirit is with us still. So here's some final encouragements. First, remember you more than anyone are on the right side of history. What a stupid lie that we're somehow on the wrong side of history if we don't fall into line with the world's ever-changing moral agenda. Next time you hear that criticism, respond with this. Where is history heading, do you think? We know where it's heading. To a day when the living and the dead will be gathered before the judgment seat of God. And the precious name of Jesus will be the only refuge on that day. Now is the time when Jesus is building his church. So the way to get on the right side of history is to turn and trust his offer of forgiveness while there is still time. Second, you don't need to be clever or creative. Just faithful. One of Billy Graham's favourite lines was, The Bible says, 
And I think we need to recapture that line, that confidence. It's absolutely right for us to hide behind the Bible in the same way that the disciples hid behind Jesus. These are the Spirit's powerful, saving words. And sure, I'm weak and often confused. I fail every day. But let me show you what the Bible says. Let's read a gospel together and hear what it says about Jesus. Some will be deeply offended, but in God's kindness, others will be saved. Finally, for this morning, don't underestimate the power of simply living a genuine godly life. Just living the normal Christian life, relating together as a Christian community, that's an incredible testimony. When we show undeserved forgiveness in this cancel culture, when we are generous in this greedy culture, when we honour others above ourselves in this self-promoting culture, we might just cause some to think twice. I'll finish with a quote from an excellent new book that I read this last week. can highly recommend it. It's called Being the Bad Guys. And it's written by an Aussie about this context that we find ourselves in today. Let me quote. He's, he's speaking here about our Christian lifestyle. And he says, It's first of all confusing. How can they be so loving? when they reject the idea that love is love. Then it's intriguing. I don't agree with how intolerant they're supposed to be, but they welcomed me in. Next, it's attractive. It looks and feels and sounds better than what I'm currently doing. And finally, it's compelling. I think that this might just be where true life is found. Confusing. Intriguing, attractive, compelling. May God strengthen us and use us to be all of these things as we take up our cross this day and follow our Saviour on the narrow path to life. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for so loving our world that you gave your one and only Son. Lord Jesus, thank you for shining the light of your truth and your love in our dark world all the way to death. Father, we praise you for raising your Son and giving him the name that is above every name and for pouring out your Spirit in his place. Thank you, Father, for choosing us out of the world, for giving us a new home and a new identity. Please, Father, strengthen us by your Spirit to stand firm for you. When we face hostility, give us your strength to love in response. When we are asked for a reason for the hope that we have, give us clarity and boldness to bear faithful witness to the Lord Jesus. Father, there are those that we love who are far from you. Please be merciful to them. Soften their hearts. Draw them near. And Father, we pray again for our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer terribly because they are your children. 
Please guard and keep them. Please keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and the promise of his return. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.